0: Today at Kayla's Church, we're talking about
1: how to open the right door. Welcome to Kalo's Church. My name is Pradeep Jeeva And I'm Amritha. Kalo's Church means beautiful in Greek. We know a lot of people have heard and seen ugly things when it comes to religion, the church, but we believe that when you look at the words and the ways of Jesus, it's actually quite beautiful. And so we want to create a community where it's okay to ask the question, what is so beautiful about Jesus? Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to get videos like this every Sunday, please subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram.
0: Yes, and it is so important to us that you know that we're not just a friendly church, but we Mm -hmm. are a church of friends. And we actually have this private Facebook group that everybody in our church jumps into. And all week we talk about all kinds of stuff. We share memes, Mm -hmm. we share prayer requests, we laugh together, we cry together, (laughs) and we really uh, stay in connection with one another. We want to invite you to jump into that private Facebook Mm -hmm. group with us. All you have to do is right after this service, click on the link for Zoom and come meet us for yeah. our crash course. We'd love to meet you and then we can pull you right in to our private Facebook mm-hmm. group. But every week in that Facebook group, we talk about uh, some good news, some yeah. good things that are happening in people's lives. We also share prayer requests, like I said before, and we're gonna pray all together here in just a moment for some prayer requests. Yeah. But the first good news I wanna share with you is that uh, a member of our church, Carl Reese, um, found out that his mother was diagnosed with COVID-19 and actually uh, was healed and is doing so much better and is healthy once again. We're so thankful that even God is helping and blessing elderly uh, to be healed through this virus as well. The other thing I wanted to share is Elaine Wyatt, who also comes to our church, works at a nursing home and was sharing that they were celebrating a 90 year old woman's birthday and they did a yeah. parade for her outside. It was so fun, but um, one of her children who really had been estranged and not talked with her for many, many, for a long time, uh, actually called her that day on her wow. 90th birthday, right here in the middle of a pandemic. Wow. And I love what <laughs> Elaine said. She just shared, you know, this is a really hard time for everyone, but God is using it. And even relationships wow. are being restored mm-hmm. during during this wow. difficult time. Uh, so, just incredible good news. Well, I want to pray actually today
1: as well. Hey, this looks a little different. We wanted to provide a prayer update as our nation is in turmoil and unrest, especially after George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis by a police officer, right where I grew up, where we got engaged before getting married. And it's just so painful, honestly, especially as people of color, especially as people who were in Minnesota, grew up in Minnesota, it's just a reality that we have to acknowledge, and we have to enter into, and we just want to say as pastors that racism is evil. This is not Christianity. We serve a guy who welcomes every tongue, tribe, and nation, and everybody is welcome at the table, and we cry against injustice. And we know one thing, that a divided world needs a united church. And so we go to the source of the only hope that we have that can end racism and bring true life and life abundantly, Jesus. And we need to pray
0: Church. Yes. Hey, we know that this is affecting you. It's impacting you. It's mm-hmm. okay. I understand you're watching the news or you're, you're scrolling through social media and you're seeing mm-hmm. all of this and, and it's causing anxiety. It's causing darkness. It's causing us uh, to feel so much anxiety yeah. during this time. Seattle even is dealing with violence, even this weekend as we speak. And And so we wanna pray. What we know is that God hears our prayers. Mm -hmm. And so church, we just wanna invite you in this moment to pray. We wanna lift you up, we wanna lift up our nation, we wanna lift up our community right now before Jesus. He is the solution and the hope to all of this. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can come together and we can pray. Lord, we know that you are the hope of the world. Father, I thank you that you have stood up for injustice forever and ever and ever. Mm. And so, so Lord, we follow your lead. Yes, Father, I pray that for those at Kalos Church that are struggling right now, I ask that you would bring a peace and a comfort to their hearts in the name of Jesus. I ask that you would help us to know how to engage, what to say, what move we need to make. Yes, and Lord, sir. in this moment, the move we need to make is to pray. And so Lord, we put our trust in you mm-hmm. right now. And God, I ask that you would come. You would bless even Kalo's church, that we would be like a city on a hill. Father, as we lift your name up, many would come to you, Jesus. We love you so much. And we, we lean into you in this very difficult moment right now in our nation. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen. Well, we're excited because we actually have a guest speaker at Kalos Church today, Pastor Nuro Alphonse from Denver. And uh, this is a good looking man. I mean, <laughs> you may not even notice that we have a guest speaker today, as <laughs> he's he's that good looking, but he has been a great help in our church planning journey. Him and his wife, they planted a few years ahead of us and have really offered us a lot of input, advice, perspective, helping us know like which ways we could go, what mistakes we can learn from. And so we're just really thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ that really had our back as church planters and Kalos Church's back as a church plant. And so I want to show you a picture of their family. And I just want to let you know that they lead LifeGate Church located in Denver, Colorado. And it's a dynamic, fast-growing, multi-ethnic church that's reaching mainly millennials and young families from all over that metro area. They've been married over 12 years and have three young boys. And so let's give Pastor Neurope some digital love, a high five, leave a comment, leave your favorite emoji in the comments that we can just really receive him with honor. And I really want to challenge all of you. Let's just not be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Amen. Amen.
2: Hey, Kalos Church, thank you so much for having me today uh, with you in your service. Now, listen, do not, do not, do not adjust your screen. I know what you're thinking. You're feeling a little disoriented. You're feeling a little confused and you're thinking to yourself, is, is, is it just me or does this guy look like one of our pastors? And it's true. I do look like them. I'm sure we are related some way, somehow, but I guarantee you, I am not as smart, not as cool, and definitely not as good looking as your pastors. But I am so thankful to be here with you. My name is Narup Alphonse. I'm a pastor in Denver, Colorado. I've been married to my wife, Hannah, for 12 years. We have three boys. And let me just say this from from my heart, on, on speaking behalf of my family and our church, we love your pastors and we love your church. remember the first time that Pastor Pradeepan and I connected over just Instagram, social media, and got to know each other. And then my wife and I we're out in Portland. We drove up to Seattle and spent some time with them, getting to know them, uh, their heartbeat for the city, their heartbeat for the gospel and what God is building in and through all of you. I'm so incredibly excited and grateful for what God is doing in your church and seeing the vision of making known the beauty of Jesus to Seattle and all of the world and how that's coming into fruition. So I'm so grateful to be here. I got I got my Bible so we can get in God's word. I got my iPad. I'm trying a little bit different. I'm taking out for a test spin and I'm I'm actually got a a cup of coffee because I know that Seattle is known for their coffee. So I got one here just to honor you guys with that. So I'm excited to get in God's word right now. Hey, if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the gospel of John chapter 10 and we'll begin in verse one and we'll get through about uh, just 10 verses today, really focusing on one aspect of one of the verses. Uh, Seven times in the gospel of John, Jesus says these words. He says the words, I am. we really only find it in the gospel of John. And it's it's rather fascinating that Jesus says, I am, because when Jesus says the words, I am, in no uncertain terms, Jesus is making the claim that he is God. He is saying to his audience, he's saying to the world, he's saying to you and I, I am God. God, I am God in the flesh. I am God here. I am God near. Jesus is making the exclusive claim that he is God. See, there's a critique against Christianity often um, that of how can you make this exclusive claim that, that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the only truth, he's the only life. And in fact, it's, it's not Christians, or the church that makes this claim. It's in fact, Jesus who makes this claim. Jesus looks at the world and he says, I am the only way. And listen, every one of us are on a journey with God. Some of us are far and deep into this journey. Some of us are fresh into this journey. And some of us don't even know we're on this journey. We're just kind of beginning. And to all of us, Jesus says, I am the way. And in a culture like ours that is so postmodern, and in fact, we're probably even post-postmodern, Jesus creates and he gives us the claim of absolute he is the absolute truth, the absolute way for life. And I know we're all in different seasons. And so I'm so excited for us to, to be in God's word today. And what, what I want to do is simply to invite you today, wherever you're watching from, whatever season of life you were in, whatever season of faith you are in, I simply want to invite you today to journey deeper into knowing Jesus and discover for yourself who Jesus is and discover what he wants to do in your life. Jesus is in fact, God with us and God with you. Before we go any further, if you hear nothing from me today, nothing at all, hear this, God loves you. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. No matter who you are or what you have done, God loves you. Remember one time I was driving with my parents back in high school. We're, we're, we're rolling in in, you know, in, you know, in our 1996 Four Taurus, families rolling deep in this car, and, and the Backstreet Boys comes on the radio, and they sing this song: "I don't care who you are, where you're from, you know, what you did, as long as you love me." And so I'm sitting there in the back listening to this night, and I go, "Dad, isn't isn't that the gospel?" no matter who you are, uh, where you've been, what you've done. And the reason I said that is because a few seconds ago, my dad goes, what kind of a song is this? What you've done, where you've been, who you've done, what kind of, as long as you love me, what is that? I was like, dad, isn't that the gospel? Isn't that what the gospel is? And he just turns around and goes, shut up. That was it. But isn't that the gospel? No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, there is a God who loves you immensely. And he loves you so much that he wants to transform your life. He doesn't doesn't just love you the way he finds you. No, he loves you as you are, not not as you should be, not how you could be, not where you must be. He loves you as you are, but then he loves you enough not to leave you the way he found you. That's what Jesus is saying when he says seven times, I am. So read with me, if you will, let's get into this text together, uh, just in our, in, in our time remaining, John chapter 10, beginning in verse one. Let me read this for us. And, and if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, take it out and let's read this together. Beginning verse one, and we'll get through verse 10. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That if you are with Jesus, he knows you by name. When he has brought out all of his sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, watch this, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. Again, verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is an odd statement that Jesus makes. I am the door. If you think about doors in culture, we have a door right here. You could tell it's, it's really fancy and it's beautiful right now. I just, we, we just kind of came up with this, but it's an odd statement that Jesus makes. I am the door. Now, if you think about doors in culture, doors represent a lot of things. In music, you know, an old school song, I'm knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. There's, when you look at a door, there's kind of a, a family aspect to it. I remember growing up, um, our living room wasn't that big and my dad would be on the couch and someone inevitably comes to the door and guess who is getting yelled at all the way from, you know, I'm in my basement and my dad's like, no, no, get the door. I'm like, dad, but you're, but you're right there, but the door represents family. It's the door of my house and, and where I live and who, who is behind that door with me. There's uh, the door in the social aspect, um, your friends' homes, the, the place that you work. Doors can represent seasons of life. It represents the season of I'm leaving the door of my adolescence and moving into the door of college and then leaving the door of college and moving into the door of, of, of young adulthood. Or maybe you're married for the first time and you get the keys to your first home and you walk in. So there's these seasons of life that doors represent. There's doors in economy. We say, hey, what's the door price? There's doors when it comes to sports. I've been watching, as I'm sure many of you have been watching, the last dance about the goat himself, the greatest basketball player who has ever lived. Can I get an amen in the chat? Can I get a goat emoji in the chat? Can you do that for me? The story of Michael Jordan. And it was the door of the Pistons that he had to get through to get to the championship. But this is an odd statement when Jesus says, I am the door. But if you think about it, doors lead somewhere. Doors take you from one place to another. Doors invite you from one season into another. Doors invite you from one purpose into another. And Jesus says, I am the door. Now he doesn't say a door. He says the door door I am the door. Now Jesus is using language that would have been familiar to the audience that is often distant from us. So he uses phrases like sheep, sheepfold, gatekeeper, shepherd. Those typically aren't in our language in 2020 in America. And he also uses this word door. See what happens was there were shepherds in that culture. They were in an, an agrarian culture, so shepherding was a big part of what they did and tending for sheep. Now, sheep typically uh, stayed in two places. When the shepherd would take his sheep back to the city or to the village, they would stay among the sheepfold. And in the sheepfold is where they would hire a gatekeeper. The shepherd would hire a gatekeeper. And in this pen, so to speak, all the sheep would gather and there would be a door. And standing at the door would be the gatekeeper. And the shepherd would come to the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper, as as even Jesus says in the text, would recognize the shepherd. The shepherd comes in the door, calls the sheep by name, and they go out to the door on their way to pasture, on their way to eat, to sleep, to rest. Now, when they were out in pasture, sometimes the shepherd wouldn't make it back to the city or the village by that evening. So what the shepherd would do is he would find a cave and all the sheep would go into the cave and the door or the opening of the cave is where the shepherd himself would lay. And so the only way to go in, And the only way to go out was through that door. The door represents for the sheep safety and security and belonging. Why? Because the door is the only way to and the only way through. There is no other way to get to the sheep. And there's no other way for the sheep to get through to get to pasture. And so for both, Jesus is saying, listen, listen, listen. Jesus is saying, in your life, in your family, in your relationships. I am the door to, and I am the only way through. Now, if you're anything like me, you read this. Someone says this, and you're like, okay, okay, pastor, that sounds good. But the question has to be asked, where does this door lead to? Where is this door taking me? And Jesus so lovingly and graciously answers that question for us. Look back with me at verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What is the abundant life? Is the abundant life a life of no problems, a life of great prosperity, a life of never sick, always healthy, great house, great spouse, great kids, great everything? That's not what the abundant life is. I love the way that one author puts it. He, he, he defines the abundant life as this. The abundant life is the life that never ends. Yet we don't have to wait until the end of our physical life to receive it. Abundant life includes destiny, a genuine purpose for living, the joy of facing any adversity, including the grave without fear and the ability to endure hardship with confident assurance. In other words, if you could describe the abundant life, if you could describe the where the door leads, where the door of Jesus leads in one word, it would be the word peace. In the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. It means wholeness. My entire life, your entire life is whole. Listen, we are all on a journey. Every one of us, every one of you watching, whatever home you are watching from, whatever place you're watching from, every one of us is on a journey. And I would contend we are on a journey looking for peace, looking for wholeness, just One moment of peace. My wife and I have three sons under the age of nine. And I can tell you once a day, we are looking for peace. I have to wake up before Jesus wakes up in the morning just to have a quiet house. I am up early in the morning. I am 4 a.m. up early so I can have a few hours of just peace and quiet because we are all longing for an eternal peace a satisfying peace, a deeply, deeply anchoring peace in our lives. So we knock on doors. We knock on the door of money. Maybe money is what will lead me to peace. We knock on the door of success or influence or fame or power or sex or relationships, a business, education, academics, politics, philosophy, country, the American dream, we are knocking on the door. We are knocking on the door of self autonomy. If I could do things my way, if I could just own my things, YOLO, you do you, whatever. I mean, if we could have that, then we'll have peace. And so we're longing for this, which is why the number one best-selling books every year are these self-help books. Now I'm not against self-help in any way, But think about what that points to. It points to, hey, there's something inside of you that isn't functioning right. There's an emotional, something wrong emotionally. There's something wrong physically. There's something wrong mentally. There's something wrong relationally. What all those books are saying is that there's something in you, in your soul, deep inside of you that doesn't have peace. And so the world offers, it offers its plethora of answers. It gives you plenty of doors for peace. Meanwhile, Jesus says, I am the way of peace. I think about this week and what's happening in our country between what happened just a few weeks ago with Ahmaud Arbery and then just again, this just less than a week ago with George Floyd in Minneapolis and and the riots and the unrest and the protests and what you're seeing, what you're seeing is a people in pain. What you're seeing is, it is, is a nation that is being ripped apart, a people that are being ripped apart, gripped with the reality of racism in our own nation, among our own people. And you're seeing people in in anger and sorrow and pain who just don't feel like they have a voice and they don't know what to do. And and so there's a there's a protest that comes up. There's there's a there's a cry for justice, there's a there's a cry for God to do something, for people to do something, for the authority to do something, and it's a cry deep down in our souls for peace and let me just say as I, as i just pause on this for a moment this is the place that the church the people of god must step in to be a true gospel centered spirit filled multi ethnic church that steps into the place of chaos that steps into the place of conflict and offers a space to grieve to lament to confess, to repent, to hear the cries of our brothers and sisters and not try to explain it, but simply to listen and to validate and to understand and to give space for us collectively to reflect the beauty of Jesus. A faith that unites, a faith that reconciles, a faith that calls for justice, a faith that promises peace in Jesus. What our nation needs is peace and Jesus has the audacity to say, I am the door. I am the pathway for peace, real peace. Now in our time together, I'm gonna wrap it up here in just a moment. What does this real peace look like? I wanna give you two things of what this peace looks like. First and foremost, the peace that Jesus offers is the peace of being a new person. Let me say that again. The peace that Jesus offers you today, right here, right now, is the peace of being a new person. Listen, the aim of Jesus in your life, the aim of God's work in your life, what God wants to do is not to make you a better version of yourself. You're not an upgraded version of yourself with Christ. You are, the Bible says, in Christ, a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You could be at peace that you are no longer who you used to be when you are in Christ. And real peace, Real peace. I remember a pastor told me once years ago, he said, every person you meet is in conflict with God, themselves, or someone else. And they need peace. And real peace begins when we have peace with God. Look at verse nine. In verse nine, Jesus says, if anyone, anyone, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, American, Iranian, Indian, Sri Lankan, Chinese, doesn't matter where you're from, rich, poor, city, suburb. If anyone enters by me, enters through the door of me, he will be saved. Listen, there are two realities. Reality number one, you and I are in need of saving. Scripture tells us that you and I are born at enmity with God, which means that we are born from birth, rebelling against God, pushing away from God. Reality number two is we cannot save ourselves. There is no door that can save us. We cannot be good enough. We cannot do enough for God God must do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So the gospel, the story of God is that God sends his son, Jesus, who is perfect, spotless, blameless in every single way to enter the human story, to enter into your story and my story. And Jesus goes on the cross and he takes all of our sin, all of my sin, all of your sin, all of our enmity with God. He nails it to the cross and he exchanges on that cross all of our sin for all of his goodness and his purity. Jesus is then put into a grave, but three days later, he rises from the dead, conquering sin and death on your behalf. So therefore, sin no longer has any power over you. He breaks the power, as the hymn says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Romans 5.1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the moment you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you enter through that door, you are a new person. You are brand new. That is the first place that you have peace with God. You are reconciled to God and at perfect peace with him. Secondly, you can live from that moment on with the peace of a new promise. Peace is a new promise that God gives you. Listen, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of chaos it is the assurance of Christ's promise to you when all the world is in chaos when your life is falling apart when your world is being shattered Jesus has entered the human story his name was Emmanuel God with us Jesus enters your story and he gives you his promise in John 14:27 Jesus says this peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives to you do I give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. And in John sixteen thirty three, he said, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, this peace, that Jesus promises is only through him. He is the one that leads us, as it says in verse seven, to pasture, the promise of rest, the promise of wholeness, the promise to be in his presence. We have Jesus, the aim is Jesus. The aim is Christ and to be in his presence and his promise. And he promises to never leave you, to never forsake you. That his grace is sufficient for you, that he is with you in trouble, that he fights for you, that he walks with you, he guards you, he leads you. These are the promises of God. See, many of you right now are standing. You're standing at the door of disappointment. You're standing at the door of frustration. You're standing at the door of pain. You're standing at the door of broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship. You're standing at the door of isolation, especially in the season that we've all been in. You're standing at the door of loneliness. You're standing at the door of lies. You're standing at the door of sorrow. You're standing at the door of divorce. You're standing at the door of despair. And Jesus says to you, I am the door. I see you. I hear you. I know you. I love you. And I am here. And he invites you. See, when Jesus says, I am the door, he's not just saying, I am the door, just look at me. He's saying, I am the door. I am inviting you to walk through. I'm not gonna compel you. I'm not gonna force you. I'm not gonna drag you in. And no one can make the walk through the door for you. But he says, I invite you. You, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter what you said, no matter what has been in your past, no matter what anyone has said about you or to you, the invitation of Jesus remains the same for you today, right here, right now. He says, will you walk through that door? So here's what I'm gonna ask you in our moments remaining. What door are you standing in front of? And is that door the door that's going to lead you to peace? And I would be willing to contend that there is no door in your life that has ever led you, that has ever led you, to eternal peace, deep satisfaction. And so right here, right now, would you have the confidence to walk through that door? I want you right now, wherever you're watching from, to stand up, pick up your phone, take your iPad. If you got a TV, take your TV with you and go stand in front of a door and look at this door and say, Jesus, I am standing in front of the door of disappointment, in front of the door, fill in the blank. And then look at the door and say, But today I'm choosing for the first time, for the 10th time, for the 100th time to walk through the door of peace because now I am a new person and I can live in your promise. Would you do that today? Listen, church, my prayer for you and my heart for you is that you would experience the peace of God like never before in your life. I want to leave you with one of the most beautiful, beautiful pieces of all the scripture. This is found in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. This is the promise of Jesus to you and your family. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, right here, right now in this moment, whoever's watching, I pray that you would stir in their hearts the places in their life where they are not in peace and you would give them the confidence, the assurance to walk in the peace that you promised because you are the door, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. Lord, help us see it, help us know it, help us serve you, follow you and love you. Transform our hearts in Jesus' name. Let us make the name of Jesus beautiful together. We pray this and together all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, church, I love you. God bless. I cannot wait to be out in Seattle to hang out with all of you and get to do this in person. From my heart to yours, from our church to yours. We love you. God bless. Go in God's